Dig a Bit, a podcast for women who want to dig into the meat of God's Word for a bit. We are glad you have taken a few minutes out of your day to listen. Our host is Cindy Colley from thecolleyhouse.org. Now grab your Bible and let's dig in. Well, I hope you're having a great day. It is May already. Hard to believe that it is the month of May. I hope that you are well into month nine of our glory study this year. I'm loving the study. I was speaking to some women today and they were saying, well, my favorite study was the one that we did several years ago about the shadows of the Old Testament in the shadows. I was talking to someone else who loved great escapes the very most. For me, I think it's whichever one we're on. I love this study of glory right now because we are climaxing in the study of divine glory as we watch the sun come to earth from heaven and show us God in the human flesh in a way that we could understand like mankind had never understood before the divine nature. And so I want to take a few thoughts from John 1, which is one of the most power-packed, it has to be one of the most power-packed passages in the New Testament because, of course, it begins by telling us that this human being, that people were actually being able to touch and interact with and witness the signs and wonders, that human being was God, the Creator. And every ingredient that he used to perform a sign, the the water on the Sea of Galilee and the wind, the grape juice in John chapter 2 at the wedding feast of Cana when he, he turned the water into the wine there, when he uh, used spittle and clay to put on a man's eyes, every single thing that he was using, he was the source of that thing. He created that thing. And when we see him coming and walking out in the wilderness among men, just after in John 1, just after those Pharisees had come to question what John the Baptist was all about, when they had come really to criticize and test, you know, Jesus made those men. And now he began a lifetime of being subject to the criticism of the created, which is just an incredible place for God to be. And I think that when we study glory, we have to just necessarily always remember that we're talking about the great I am. We're talking about the eternal one. We're talking about the one who had all power. Uh, True, he surrendered that power at the cross, and that was part of the big sacrifice of the cross, but we're talking about the creator of the earth, and so that's how the book of John begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and in fact, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him and without him wasn't anything made that was made in him was life life itself and the life was the light of men i'm just going to tell you that no 
mortal man has ever walked the earth with these characteristics. We don't have the power of life within ourselves. And that is why that our God supremely, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are the ones who are in charge of the beginning and end of life. The light was shining in the darkness and the darkness apprehended it, controlled it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now there's a contrast there. You know, it doesn't say there was a man sent from God named Jesus. In the beginning was the Word and he was the Creator. But then there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He wasn't that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was, now we're on Jesus again, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came to his own, or to his own things. The, the things on the earth, all the things, belonged already to him by virtue of the creation of those things by the word. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but yet this world that he made knew him not. He came to his own things, and his own, those people who were created by him, who were his own, did not receive him. But as many as did receive him, to them gave he the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I, I love those first few verses of the book of John, but now we are getting to our glory word. He says, even to them who believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is not man's power, but this is God's process. This is not the seed of Abraham, but this is a process, an operation of God it's going to make these people sons of God and makes us children of God. And here's our doxa word. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his doxa. The doxa as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What I want us to recognize first here is that there are two ingredients of grace that are set forth here in the Son of God as He walked upon the earth, and they are grace, charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. I love that word. I almost, uh, well, I really had planned to name one of my children charis if I had had the, um, uh, that many children. <laughs> But God, I guess God knew what I could handle, and so I don't have a charis, but I love that name. And it means grace, of course, it's translated grace. And it really, if you look it up, it means the divine influence of God on the hearts of men. It does mean a gift, and it is the gift of the divine influence of God on the hearts of men. Is it unmerited favor? Yes, it is. And that unmerited favor is that we get to be divinely influenced 
in our hearts so that we can be saved. That is one component or ingredient of doxa here, the glory that is in Christ. The other one is truth, and that's aletheia, of course, and that means what is true, what is right, the full whole truth. And so before Christ came, there was no way to salvation. Before he came, there was no full revelation of truth. And the glory is in the fact that in him we have both of those things. I praise God that I live in this era where the glory of Jesus has shined upon men as a light and given us these two characteristics, grace and truth. And then we have this commit in John 1, we have this committee of Pharisees coming to start this process that's not going to end until Jesus ascends back into heaven. And the Pharisees have it have this burden on their hearts that they are not going to give up their supremacy as the religious leaders. They're not going to give up their system of Judaism as they have insisted it be carried out. They're not giving up their power. And they're starting right here before Jesus even comes on the scene, really. They're starting by the persecution or the questioning of John the Baptist, who you remember is going to end up losing his head. Uh, sooner rather than later. But here in John chapter 1, this committee of Pharisees comes to him. And I, I just want you to notice that they thought they knew all about the prophets. Um, this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? I mean, people were starting to listen to John. He was drawing a crowd and he was baptizing people and he was becoming a religious leader. And their question was, who are you? And he confessed, verse 20, and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They wanted to know if he was the Christ. And he said, I am not the Christ but he's about to confess that he knows the Christ is coming. And they ask him, well, what then? Who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, well, who are you? That we might give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, and he's going to quote Isaiah here. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And those who were sent were of the Pharisees. Gives us a clue here. The Pharisees are going to be the taunting ones throughout the life of Jesus. And they asked him and said to him, Well, why are you baptizing then, if you're not Christ, nor Elijah, neither that prophet. And John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one already among you whom you do not know. So here, these Pharisees, it's interesting. They knew all about the prophets, but they skipped straight from Elijah all the way to the coming Messiah. And they forgot all about Isaiah 40 verse 3 that said there was going to be one coming to prepare the way of Jesus. 
it's interesting also to look at Matthew's record about these Pharisees just prior to the baptism of Jesus. And we find that over in Matthew chapter 3. And here we really do have, it's no wonder that they were worried about the teachings of John the Baptist and the threat that they were to the Pharisaical oh, hierarchy, if you want to call it that. Because in, John, in Matthew chapter 3, went out to him, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan. This wasn't just a few people coming to John. This was a lot of people from a lot of areas. And they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said, oh, wow, now this is going to be stinging here. Oh, you generation of vipers. This is reminiscent of what Jesus said to them in Matthew chapter 23, reminiscent to us, that is, of what Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 23. Oh, you generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits that are worthy of repentance. And don't think you can say within yourselves, Oh, we have Abraham to our father. For I say to you that God's able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It is not a big deal right now if you're a child of Abraham because God can raise up children of Abraham from this stone. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which brings not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. It's not going to matter if you're a branch of the tree of Abraham. God is going to cut, cut down every tree that's not obedient to the one for whom I'm laying the way here. I indeed baptize you with water to repentance, but he who comes after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. They didn't like to hear about people who were mighty, who were coming, because they thought they were the mighty ones. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Might want to turn to Malachi chapter 3, verse 3, and chapter 4, verse 1 there. But then comes Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So it's really not a wonder that the Pharisees here were getting on the bad side of Jesus before Jesus even has become a teacher because John the Baptist had their number and he said some pretty straightforward things to them in preparation for the coming of Jesus. They had a chance there and some Jews did believe. We know that. Um, but they had a chance there to examine their hearts even prior to the time when Jesus began to teach. And so then Christ this glorious one who is full of grace and truth, those two ingredients of his glory, comes to be baptized of John. And we see both components, grace and truth, in his baptism. Because John saw Jesus coming. Here's the grace part. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. That is the essence of the great influence of the divine nature on the hearts of men. He is able to show us the way to eradicate our sins 
and to stand before him justified because of the blood of this lamb. And of course, the Old Testament is full of preparation through the animal sacrifices, through the sacrificial lamb to prepare us for the ultimate sacrifice that is the once for all sacrifice. And John introduces him here the first time he comes out before the crowds and says, this is this is grace personified. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And then if we look back at chapter 3 of Matthew, where we've been looking at this entrance of the Pharisees and the entrance of Jesus for his baptism, the last verse of that chapter is when the Spirit of God descended like a dove and lit upon Jesus and said, a loud voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's the truth. This is the very first time that God has been, God the divine one has been in human form to live a life before mankind. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The truth about Jesus, he is God and he can impart to you truth. So we have those two elements, grace and truth, the glory of Jesus at his baptism here at the beginning of his ministry. And that is a glorious moment because it's glory is signified by the dissension of the Holy Spirit likened to a dove and the loud voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I believe one of the other gospels says, hear ye him. So here we have a lot of people out there from a lot of regions. And we have some Pharisees and some Sadducees. And we have likely some from this same committee who came out to question John the Baptist. And he said, there's one greater coming. And they have them witnessing the great voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And yet the response, generally speaking, was rejection at this point. Now, not all of them were rejecting him, but the general response was rejection, even after this great display of power at his baptism. And as we progress through John, we're going to see other signs that just are irrefutable evidence that he is both grace and truth, that his glory consists of those two things. And yet they are going to continue to reject all the way up even unto the raising of Lazarus in John 11. They're going to reject. And of course, that is as well the fulfillment of prophecy, the rejection of his glory. So let's look together at his glory in the book of John. First of all, through those signs in the first eight chapters of the book of John, we're going to look at those in detail this month. And as we do, let's Keep in mind these two key characteristics of his glory. Grace, his doxa, grace and truth. Hope you have a wonderful month studying together. I believe it is going to be a month when we are going to see some relief from our social distancing. I don't like social distancing. I understand why we have to do it and I'm compliant. 
but I want to be with my sisters and brothers in Christ. And so I'm very excited that, well, in Alabama anyway, on Monday, some things are going to start opening up. And by a week from Sunday, I anticipate we're going to get to be worshiping together in some way again. We might not be hugging and we might not be on the same pew with folks that aren't in our physical families. But just to get to be assembling together with our spiritual family is going to be a great day of joy for Cindy Colley. And I hope it will be for you as well. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that every digger will be safe and healthy. And I pray Third John 2 for you, that your body might prosper even as your soul prospers. Have a great day.